And when you are, open up your copies of God's Word to the book of James. We are in the last portion of chapter 1 today. We're going to read the entire chapter, chapter 1. But our, our sermon text itself is that last portion, verses 19 through 27. And I want to start um, from the beginning of the book so that we have the context, the, the, the thought that's running through. I think it's easy to take this book in particular and to look at it as little chunks of individual topics like little proverbs and not see um, some kind of cohesive message going through. Are not all of these things that we're reading about this, this idea of temptation and trial and hardships? I say they are. And so we'll read the whole chapter, and we'll focus in on that last section today. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of his first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, grateful for your word. And yet, Lord, we do stand in awe of it because as you have just told us, it is like looking into a mirror. And when we look into the mirror, we see uh, who we are and where we are supposed to be. And uh, Lord, you know our frame, you, you know our, our track record, you know our hearts. Uh, we pray that you would Help us this morning as we reflect on your word. We pray that you would speak to us and tell us what we need to hear. Um, Again, Lord, as we have already prayed, we've come to hear your voice. Would you please speak to us? We'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off this morning telling you a little story. It's a story about a girl, a very young girl. I want to tell you a story about a brave four-year-old girl who recently saved her mother's life. Uh, First responders are calling this little girl uh, a hero. Uh, You see, the situation was very urgent. A woman named Haley Glazer fell on the floor unconscious, and the only people at home at the time were her four uh, young children, and the oldest was four-year-old Isla, who saved her mother's life by calling 911. And according to police, uh, Isla handled the situation better than some adults. Uh, as it turns out, Isla is very calm and collected under pressure. Uh, Isla sprang into action when her mother Haley fell unconscious at her home in New Jersey calmly explaining the situation and giving her address to the dispatcher. Because her mother has a a chronic medical condition, Isla's parents have prepared her for these types of emergencies by teaching her how to use the phone and by explaining what 911 is and how to use it. They've also explained what is an emergency and what isn't an emergency. And when there was an urgent situation, Isla responded to her parents' instructions. Again, they're calling her a hero. And similarly, James wants you to respond to God's word, especially when you are in an urgent situation, like a trial like temptation. He wants you to respond to God's word. And you can see that in verse 22, can't you? James says, 
Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So as we look at this text, we're going to ask, how should we respond to God's word? And the first thing you see is that we should respond to God's word with humility. That's the first heading. Respond to God's word with humility. James opens up the book, as we've just read, he opens up the book uh, addressing the trials that Christians must endure, and he gives three promises concerning those trials. They'll lead to maturity, there's wisdom for the taking, and exaltation at the end. And James goes on to remind his readers not to blame God, but to remember that he is good. And we learned uh, last week that we need to guard our thinking because the trials we face often turn into temptations that may cause us to question God's goodness or it may tempt us into some other sin, lead us in that way. And as James continues this conversation, he's concerned about how you respond to the word of God. He pointed to the gospel in verse 18, what he calls the word of truth. He says that Christians have to be born again. He uses the language of of childbirth there, though. He says, God brought you forth. And being new creatures in Christ, how ought you to respond to God's word? In verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And James is going to address each of these three topics as it relates to responding to God's word. First, he deals with anger, then listening, and last, he deals with speaking. So how should you respond to God's word? God is very direct with you in his word, isn't he? He's honest. He tells you the truth whether you want to hear it or whether you don't. Will you be angry if he tells you something that you don't want to hear? Will you ignore him? In verse 20, James writes, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James warns that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You need to guard your heart when you face the challenges and hardships of life. Be cautious. If you allow anger to settle in your heart, you can become enslaved to it. It can be a very hard pattern to escape, and an angry spirit is never a listening spirit. It's not a teachable spirit. Think back to Genesis 4. You'll remember Cain. He becomes frustrated when his offering is rejected. Um, The things he uh, had planned, what, what he had hoped for, it didn't come to pass. And God speaks to him. But instead of humbling himself and listening to God's word, Cain Cain began to harbor bitterness, and his bitterness turned into anger, his anger into hatred, and his hatred into murder. 
And you can think of others in Scripture who follow a similar pattern. Pharaoh certainly became more and more frustrated by each of the plagues. And he was confronted with God's word in between, wasn't he? Each time Moses would come to him with God's word. But instead of listening, instead of responding to it with the humble and teachable spirit, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He became angry. And he wickedly lashed out against God's people in vengeance. When you're becoming frustrated by life and things don't seem to be going your way, you need to slow down. Beware. Breathe. When you're frustrated and angry, it is hard to listen. You don't feel like listening to anybody. And ironically, that's when you really, really need to hear from God. James says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And he continues in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away sin. Put away everything that is hampering and hindering your relationship with God. Put away distractions. Put away things that are temptations. Yearn for a pure life. Yearn for the Word where you can find strength and hope and direction, where you can hear from the mouth of God directly. In verse 21, James says, Receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. He calls God's word the implanted seed. Uh, This is similar to uh, what you might remember of Jesus preaching in the parable of the sower where he talks about the word being sown like seed. Well, James speaks of God's word being implanted in the human heart like a seed that is planted in good soil and then takes root and then produces fruit. And you'll notice the word isn't earned, is it? It it isn't somehow purchased. No, it's received. That's what the text says, like, like a gift. And it's received with meekness. To be meek is to be humble. To listen well, to be gentle and teachable before the word. And this is how transformation occurs. The implanted word takes deep root within you and begins to transform you. And remember the promise that we discovered in verses 2 through 4. God transforms your trials into benefits. When living faith is tested, it produces endurance, which leads to spiritual maturity. If you find yourself in a frustrating position, if you find yourself disappointed today, don't become angry. Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires for you. Instead, humble yourself before the Lord and seek His counsel. Discover what 
his word says about your situation. James wants you to be humble before the word. He wants you to humble yourself, and he wants you to respond to God's word with obedience. That's our second heading. Respond to God's word with obedience. You see, it's not enough to recognize that you have a problem. And it's not enough to understand what God tells you to do about your problem. You need to act. You need to act. The Bible is God's word. They're divine words. Scripture refers to itself as the breath of God, as the words of Christ. It's inspired. It's infallible. It cannot fail. It's inerrant. It cannot err. It's life-giving. The Word of God has the power to save your soul and to transform your life. It's not enough to hear the word. You must do it. You should respond to it. Put it into practice. In verse 22, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you remember in verse 16, James didn't want you to be deceived about the character of God. Remember that. He said, No, God is good. Don't be deceived about the character of God. Now he doesn't want you to be deceived about yourself. Do you believe? A Christian, by definition, by definition is someone who follows Christ. A doer of the word. In the previous paragraph, James compared the word to seed, but in this paragraph, he compares it to a mirror. And the purpose of a mirror, of course, is to examine yourself. Uh, People own mirrors uh, to make sure that they look presentable before they go out in public, right? That's what you do in the mirror. Uh, You get yourself ready to make sure you don't embarrass yourself before the world, before you go out. You want to look as clean and as neat as possible. And as we look into the mirror of God's word, we begin to see who we really are. In verse 23, James writes, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. When someone reads or hears the word of God, they're confronted with perfect moral standards. And in that way, the word functions like a mirror, reflecting both the perfect righteousness of God and your own sinfulness, your own shortcomings, your own imperfections. When you look into the mirror of God's word, you're confronted with the holiness of God and being confronted with the holiness of God. If you're seeing him as he is, you see who you are. You see your own brokenness. You see your own sinfulness. 
And this, in turn, should humble you and make you long for mercy and for forgiveness, even for the patience of God. It should make you desire to turn from your sin and embrace Christ as Savior. But you know, you know that sadly, many look intently into the mirror of God's word only to turn away and to forget what they looked like. We see this in the example of Jesus when he speaks to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, you remember, he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus holds up the mirror of God's word before him, doesn't he? He confronts him with scripture. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. But the rich young ruler is having trouble seeing himself clearly in the mirror. He says, I've kept all of these from my youth. He clearly wasn't there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, come here. Come here, look in the mirror again. Look right here. Look right there. Do you see that? Jesus says, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Respond to my word. Follow me. Do you believe? Now, selling all that you have and giving your money to the poor, it's not required for salvation. Abraham and Job were wealthy believers. No, Jesus was pointing to a particular sin in the rich young ruler's life, his idolatrous love for money. Again, Jesus is asking, are you willing to let this sin go? Do you believe? Will you follow me? We're told that the rich young ruler turned away, sadly, and he walked away, forgetting what he saw in the mirror. In our text, one man looks at his reflection in God's mirror, and he goes away, forgetting what he looks like. But the other one looks into the mirror differently, doesn't he? Verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James uses a word here that pictures someone studying themselves in a mirror. That, that is the word that's in English as look. Well, this word means something more than that. It causes uh, the person to be gripped by what they see. The same word is used to describe Peter when he's peering into the empty tomb after Jesus' resurrection. It describes a piercing look, an analyzing look, a revealing look. Why does James refer to the word of God as the perfect law of liberty? He describes it as the perfect law of liberty because it reflects God's perfect character. Uh, The law acts like a mirror 
revealing our sin and leading us to Christ. It's the law of liberty because it leads us to Christ who liberates us from our guilt by his atoning sacrifice. And having been liberated by Christ, the word then becomes a guide to Christians so that they know how to live for God's glory. The word tells God's children what pleases their heavenly father. We might refer to it as the family code. It shows you how to follow Christ. James describes two types of people who look into the mirror. Which one describes you? Verse 25 promises that those who act in obedience to the word and put their faith into practice will be blessed. James wants you to be obedient and respond to God's word with sincerity. That's our third heading. Respond to God's word with sincerity. When trials and temptations come into your life, um, there's a certain pressure that comes along with them. And James longs for the church to respond to them biblically. But it must spring from sincere faith, what James might refer to as genuine religion. As his letter continues, he says that sincere faith responds to God's word, and that is seen in the way that you speak, and in the way that you serve, and in the way that you separate yourself and keep yourself unstained by the world. Genuine faith can be seen in the way you conduct yourself, in the fruit that you bear. Scripture is clear that the believer undergoes a supernatural transformation by the power of the Spirit. The Word is implanted in their heart like a seed. We, we read that. And then it begins to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, evidence that they've been born from above. Supernatural fruit, supernatural love and joy and peace and patience kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. James says that your speech should reflect this fruit. In verse 26, he writes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, a bridle is headgear, used to control a horse, right? James says that if anyone thinks that he has genuine faith and his tongue is habitually unbridled, he's deceiving himself about his faith. If the things that are coming out of your mouth are contrary to God's word, look out. Beware. The things that you say and the topics that you love to talk about reveal what is going on in your heart. 
And what's inside your heart tends to come out. The tongue is revealing. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is calling upon the church to bridle their tongues. James is calling on the church to control what they say, and he's doing this in the context of a discussion about trials and temptations. He first began to talk about speech in verse 13, didn't he? When we're under stress, we tend to speak compulsively. In our text, James says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Colossians chapter 3 says, put to death what is earthly in you, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Sometimes we fail here, don't we? Sometimes we fail here. Sometimes we wish that we had a time machine so that we can travel back in time and we can take back something we said. Or maybe just say it different or, or to change the tone. Keep watch on your tongue. Bridle it. And when you say something wrong, and you will, when you say something wrong, humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. James doesn't want you to be deceived. He says that sincere faith responds to God's word, and it is seen in the way you speak and in the way you serve others around you, especially those who are the most vulnerable in society. In verse 27, he writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Children take after their parents, don't they? They typically look like them, and they sound like them, and they act like them. They, they repeat, repeat the phrases they hear their parents saying. And the same is true with God and his children. They reflect his character. They repeat the kinds of things that God says. They conduct themselves in the way that Christ conducted himself. Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You see, religion that is pure and undefiled reaches out to people in need. It follows Christ's example of self-sacrificial love. 
And it follows his example of holiness as well. James finishes verse 27 by telling the church to keep themselves unstained by the world. Now when James says the world, he's referring to unbelieving society. The world is full of temptation. It's full of temptation to sin. And Christians are called to be holy. You remember Abraham's nephew, Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And next he moved into Sodom. And before long, he was surrounded by sin. He surrounded himself with sin. Peter says that he tortured his soul. Scripture says the children of God are in the world physically, but are not of the world spiritually. Jesus says that his followers are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. They're called to stand out because of their commitment to holiness. They should keep themselves unstained by the world. James wants his readers to respond to God's word with sincerity. He says sincere sincere faith, what he calls pure and undefiled religion, is seen in the way we conduct ourselves. It's seen in the graciousness of their speech and in their commitment to God and to their neighbors. As James opens this letter, Again, he spends no time jumping right into the topic of the trials of life. And he assures his readers that God will use the hardships people face to mature them spiritually. He tells them that God will give them wisdom if they ask in faith. He wants them to remain clear-headed when they face hardships. He doesn't want them to be deceived So he explains how to avoid letting trials turn into temptation. He tells the church that they need to guard their thinking about God and about their circumstances. And in this text, he says that you should respond to God's word. When Haley Glazer collapsed on the floor unconscious four-year-old Isla, faced the biggest trial of her young life. She wasn't strong. She wasn't sophisticated. She was inexperienced. But when an urgent situation came, she responded to her parents' instructions. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor Jerry, I am so discouraged I keep trying to respond to God's word, but I'm broken. I keep failing. Christian, remember that Jesus responded to the Father perfectly. He responded to the Father's word with perfect humility, obedience, and sincerity on your behalf. That's what this supper represents the broken body and blood of our Lord. He went to the cross to provide you with that perfect, unstained garment. 
and it's out of affection and appreciation for what Jesus has already accomplished that we turn and respond to the gospel with humility, obedience, and sincerity. Amen. Let's pray. And oh Lord, how we need to keep our eyes on you. Lord, as we have stared into this passage, we have stared into the mirror of your word. And Lord, we have been confronted with our own dirtiness. And in seeing the ways in which we fail against your word, we are so grateful to see that table before us, a gospel to the eyes, the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom in giving us this sacrament that we might taste, that we might touch, that we might see, that we might know the gospel, that we might be reminded again and again and again that salvation is not by our works, but by what you have already accomplished. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and on the gospel. We'd ask that you would also help us to be people who follow you, who respond to your word. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.